0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I believe, uh, and I've got uh, a little bit less time this morning, so I'm going to move quickly and, and less an introduction. Last week we talked about uh, the, uh, the experiences. We know what we've experienced. I hope uh, that you understand this morning that you've experienced the grace of God. I hope that you understand that salvation, the Bible says, is, it's by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. And that uh, as we understand what we have, if you would, experienced, uh, has not what we experience uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, has, is that not worth telling someone about? Our experience with the Savior? I, I believe that many people have problems telling others about Jesus because we have a hard time talking about someone we don't know. And the truth of the matter is, is if you know Christ, you should be able to talk about Him. If you know Christ, you should be able to introduce others to Him. If you know Christ, you should be able to tell Him what He did for you. Uh, and it's an experience in, in a relationship, not a uh, conformity to a religion. We understand that it's a relationship with Christ that has changed our lives. People need to be introduced to the Savior. And how is that done? I believe there's some essentials that need to be in a a church if we're going to see what God uh, would have us to see done as a church that would be engaged in what God has called us to be engaged in. And number one, I believe uh, that essential uh, uh, element is compassion. Compassion. Uh, If you look at verse number 44, the Bible says, And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Is there a, a better example in all of Scripture of compassion than Jesus. There is no better uh, example. The Bible says he, he looked on the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. I've said this many times before, but I believe the reason why compassion perhaps, uh, the essential of compassion is, is non-existent life sometimes of Christians is because they spend too much time looking at things that don't move them. Uh, Spend too much time looking at things that don't uh, move on their hearts and prick their hearts and convict them uh, to see what God would have them to see. Uh, Sometimes I believe we just uh, busy our days and our lives filling ourselves with entertainment and those uh, those things that would appeal to our flesh and and, and to us. And we think only of ourselves and we don't look at others. We don't truly see them. How many times have we gone out and, and been amongst the multitudes, if you would, but not been moved with compassion? Uh, just this past week, we had the privilege, my wife and I, on, on Sunday evening, we got away for a little bit and uh, we got into New York City. I, I tell you, there's nothing like going uh, into New York City if you want to see people. Uh, as we stood there and just looked at people, I imagined just a little bit what Jesus must have felt as he looked at people who just passed by, who just walked by as if nothing was happening, if there was no place to go, if, if there's no hurt purpose and people that you could see in their face, just no hope. Just no hope. No answer uh, to the problems of life. Uh, uh, no, uh, no, if you would, seeming uh, uh, answer to uh, the things that they were going through. And, and I imagine as Jesus looked on the city of Jerusalem, He looked over it and said, Boy, they're like sheep and they have no shepherd. They're scattered abroad. And uh, we've got to have compassion. Uh, the Bible would tell us that as Christians we're to have compassion that makes a difference. True compassion, by the way, does. Compassion is not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It is a character trait of a Christian that causes me to take action. Jesus didn't just look and have a feeling. His act, if you would, his his, uh, feeling, his emotion caused him to have a reaction that caused him to take action, if you would. I wonder sometimes uh, if uh, uh, we uh, look on, uh, you know, we have missionaries that come through and we see, uh, we understand the difference between a burden and a call, don't we? Because every time I see a group of people or a country or a place that needs to hear the gospel and and needs churches, I don't know about you, but I get a burden uh, for those people. I I hope that somebody, but I understand the difference because that burden does not relieve me from my call to this place. In other words, as I see uh, others' needs, I still feel a compelling uh, need to stay where I am because this is where God has called me. By the way, that's why God sends people to different places. When He calls them, uh, nobody can take them from those places. When God calls you to a people, He gives you a compassion for them uh, that would cause you to want to uh, uh, fulfill and meet their needs. You see, the early church, this was an essential in the early church, compassion. Come on, is it nothing to you, all you that pass by? I wonder sometimes as Jesus again and again gave us parables to reveal the lack of compassion that religion had on people and to show the compassion that true believers should have on people. I think of the good Samaritan. I mean, the religious passed over, uh, just passed over. Oh, let someone else deal with the situation. Let, let someone else meet the need. But yet we see the Samaritan, and, and boy, it was a, uh, an insult of sorts for Jesus to call a Samaritan good. Uh, for Jesus to even imply that a Samaritan would do what a Jew would not do was such a, uh, uh, a if you would, affront to them. Uh, they were uh, insulted over that. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He was trying to get them to see beyond, them, beyond themselves. And uh, that's truly the, the, the enemy of compassion, is it not? When we cannot see beyond ourselves, when we cannot see beyond our need to meet the needs of someone else... Let's be honest this morning. If I was to go through the room and ask you, do you have a need? Every single one of us would have some kind of need this morning. We'd have a need. We all have needs. Every person has needs. But the difference is in the lives of Christians is we're not just looking to have our needs met. We understand that we have a God that says, I shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we believe in that, do we not, this morning? Are you with me? Everybody awake? Uh, we, we, we have a God that will supply all our need. But the, the truth of the matter is we have a God that's called us to meet the needs of others. He has called us to do that. We see these early Christians, uh, boy, before they went through the 12-step class or read what new Christians should do or before they even uh, had any of kind of if the new members classes or any of those things, before any of these things took place, the Bible says that they had compassion on people around them, that they saw people's needs, that they uh, sought to meet them, that they would even sell what they had, To meet someone else's need. You know, we understand what compassion does. Compassion is a willingness to, uh, uh, if you would, inconvenience myself to meet the needs of someone else. You with me? To inconvenience myself to meet the needs of someone else. If we only meet people's needs when it's convenient, we don't have compassion. We don't have compassion. You say, well, it's not convenient to my schedule or to my wallet. It is not convenient to uh, 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 what, my, what the way of my life is going. Listen, compassion will cause you to inconvenience yourself to meet someone else's need. If you're truly being honest to people who have truly made an impact on your life, uh, they have done so because they inconvenienced themselves to meet your need. They inconvenienced your, themselves to try to help you. They took from their time to give you time. They took from their money to give you money. They took from their needs, if you would, to meet your need. And boy, the truth of the matter is is that a person who truly understands the Christian life knows that as I meet the needs of others, God continues to supply my need. That God continues to give to me. You know, God is not obligated to give to us if we don't give to others. It's the truth. It's the principle that God gives us in Scripture. Too many Christians are holding on to things and not letting go of things. God wants to give you more, but He's not going to give you any more until you let go of what you have. And God wants us to give and to have compassion to make a difference. One of the things lacking in our society is love in action, is it not? Oh, we talk about love. Oh, the words love is used almost flippantly, cheaply. It doesn't have any weight or value to it anymore, the word love. Uh, You see the word love plastered on posters and and on CD covers and on movie uh, tapers. And we see that the word love, love, love is everywhere. But perfect love casteth out fear, the Bible says. What do we know about love as we read the Bible? Well, we know the fruit of the Spirit is love. We know God is love. Uh, As we look at the Bible, we know that love thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Get this, what does love do? It beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. It endureth all things. Love is compassionate, my friend. Compassion. Number two, not only do we have the uh, essential need in an engaged church to have compassion, but also, uh, number two, a concern. Concern. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, concern kills complacency. It kills complacency. I believe, listen, one of the uh, sins that uh, churches have to constantly uh, confess to the Lord is the sin of complacency. I've just got comfortable. I've just got comfortable where I am. I think it would do us all good if we got down to an old-fashioned altar today and said, God, I'm okay if you shake me up and make me uncomfortable. I'm okay if you do that so that my eyes are open, so that I'm in tune with what you would have me to do. Too many of us are crying out to God for more comfort. Oh, God, make my life more comfortable and cushy. Oh, God, make my life more, uh, give me more of what I want, more of what I want. God, I don't want any trouble. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, the Bible says. God has not called the Christian to a life of comfort and complacency. He's called the life of a Christian to a life of compassion and concern. A concern for the loss that causes us to do something. To truly do something. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And having favor with all the people. There was a concern that was there for all people uh, that was around them. Concern kills complacency. Our concern should not be born out of selfishness, but spirit-filled leadings. Does the Holy Spirit lead you to be concerned for things? I believe that's discernment. As God leads, He also... God doesn't just lead us to be concerned for ourselves. That's not the leading of God. That's our flesh. What does the Holy Spirit lead us to do? He leads us to be concerned for things that have nothing to do with us, and everything to do with His will, if you would. What does God want to use me in this life to do? What would God have me? How would God have me be a co-laborer, enter into His labor to take His yoke upon me? If you would, to enter into a yoke with God is to be concerned for the things that God is concerned with. To enter into a yoke with God is to go the direction that God is going in. To enter into a yoke with God is to do the work that God is doing. That is what it means to enter into a yoke with God. Too many of us have have, have uh, said, well, I don't want the yoke and burden of my sin. I, I don't want the consequences of those things. But the truth of the matter is, is I don't really want to get saved so that I have to do more work. I just want to be comfortable. I, I want to have things. That is not, that's a prosperity gospel. That is not the gospel of the Word of God. It's not a life that I get to live and keep doing what I want to do. It's not adding, Christ, adding Christian to uh, the title of all the other things that I have in my life. It's making Christ my life. He is my life. Uh, He is my everything. Concern. How about this? The third essential, I believe, of engaged church is conviction. Conviction. Uh, They say in a uh, first-generation Christian, we'll see convictions. In a uh, second-generation Christian, often conviction will come down to a belief. In other words, they believe it, but they're just not so convicted about it anymore. Not so passionate about it anymore. They say often by a third generation that belief will boil down into a preference. In other words, we go from conviction to preference. Don't tell me today you don't hear that word used more and more in Christendom. That things are not convictions, they're not beliefs, they're just mere preferences anymore. Now, you can kind of just take it or leave it. It's not uh, my preference to do it. It may be your preference to do it. It's not my preference to believe it. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God tells us what He says to uh, us to do is up to us and what our preferences are. God doesn't say do this if it's your preference. God says do this if you love me. God says do this because I've loved you. God says do this because, by the way, it's good for you. It's good for you. Conviction. I believe if we're going to be an engaged church, we've got to have have some convictions about some things. And boy, sometimes uh, that word, because of uh, some of the uh, frailties and failures of those that have gone before us, often carries with it a negative connotation. Conviction shouldn't be a negative thing. And boy, it doesn't just boil down to one or two issues either, friend. That's not what, often when I say convictions, people have been saved for a number of years. They have two two issues, one, two, or three, that, that is what they have convictions about. If you have convictions about one or two or three issues uh, that have to do with yourself and you have no convictions over the lost and you have no convictions over over, uh, personal purity, you have no convictions over holiness, you have no, hey, what what good are all the one or two soapbox issues that we have? Conviction. I realize, by the way, friend, that conviction is the work of God and that we cannot produce it. Can I say that? Conviction is a work of God and I cannot produce it. And you cannot produce it. But we can hinder his ability to work in this place. We can hinder his ability to convict. If you would, uh, there should be such an atmosphere in the church house of God because of our conviction, if you would, that when people enter in, the Holy Spirit has free reign to work. Come on, you with me on that? That's the atmosphere we should want in the church of God. An engaged church wants the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. In other words, what do we want conviction of? Well, we want the lost to be saved. Can a lost person become a saved person without a conviction of the Holy Spirit? No. It cannot happen. The Holy Spirit must convict the sinner. It must compel uh, them to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And by the way, that is not something that we do. That is something the Holy Spirit of God does. But it is something, by the way, that we can set an atmosphere for. When a church comes and says, Lord, have your way. When a church comes and says, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. When a church will come and enter in together and say, God, it's about your will, not mine. God, I want to be pure and holy, acceptable in your sight. And we enter in, you know, it it, it makes an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to work. Don't we know that we can grieve Him? Don't we know that we can hinder Him? Don't we know that because of lack of faith or uh, uh, because of the presence of sin that we can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in the church of God today? Yes, we can. But I tell you, if there's anything I'd like to do this morning, it's not hinder the work of the Spirit, it's to help Him. I want to help. How about you? By the way, that is not the attitude that the pastor brings to the church. It's the attitude that we all together collectively bring. We collectively bring an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can convict, where He can do His work. You know, we can create an atmosphere in which the Lord will have a hard time moving, or we can work to ensure that open door is a place that encourages the Spirit of God to do His work among us. If we would see God move, I believe we need to consider four things when it comes to conviction. Number one, atmosphere. Look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Can I, can I ask you a question? Who caused those people to gladly receive his word? The Holy Spirit. Did he do that work? He saved them. The, the, the people did not save. But let me ask you a question. Who baptized them? Disciples? I believe so. Those that were there were believers. Baptized them. You see, it's a working together. It's a partnership. It's when, when we allow God to move and then we're ready to respond when he does. We're ready to do what? Hey, when God moves, I think sometimes in the church of God, when the Holy Spirit moves, there's a bunch of people sitting around and say, what do we do now? God's moved. We want him to move. What do we do? Respond. If the Holy Spirit moves, we've got to respond. We can't just sit back and say, well, Holy Spirit moved. He does the work in the heart spiritually, but then he says, get up. He says, move. He says, work. He says, labor. Hey, we've got to enter into his labor, do we not? Hey, somebody baptized those believers. Oh, uh, I believe the, the response that we see, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine of fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Do you not see an atmosphere of conviction? An atmosphere of the Holy Spirit having his free will? There are times, I'll be honest, there are times when I've gotten up to preach and felt great liberty, and there are times where I get down after preaching. i tell my wife later, I felt like I went 15 rounds. I'm serious. Sometimes uh, preaching is more work than other times. And the truth of the matter is, is I believe it has a lot to do with the atmosphere. I believe it has a lot to do with the willingness. I, has, I believe it has a lot to do with the response, where we'll say, God, whatever you want, I'm, I'm coming to be obedient to your word. I'm coming to be obedient to your spirit. I want to do what you want us to do. If God wanted us to spend a, an extra 20 minutes in worship, would we do it? If God would call us to an extra hour of prayer, would we listen? Come on, well that's not in the schedule. Check that in the service order. Every once in a while, we throw it out. By the way, if God orders something, we listen. We respond You know what we try to do with service order? I've got a a sheet up here that tells me the order of the service. What are we trying to do? with? uh, We're trying to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can work. We want the Holy Spirit to work. I said to Brother Andy, uh, great songs this morning. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He lives. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Jesus. Why do we sing these songs? We're trying to create an atmosphere. God inhabits the praise of His people, does He not? is God pleased when, when people praise Him? Sure. So does God know, though, what we don't know? We look at each other and we say, well, we praised," but does God know whether we really did or not? Sure does. Does God know the thoughts and the intents of our heart? Sure does. Does God know whether we've really worshipped or not? Yes, He does. God knows. Atmosphere, attitude. Attitude. You look at this and Verses 42 and 43, if we can condition ourselves to come to the house of God anticipating God to do something special, we're more likely to see Him do something special. Can I say this? Come praying. Come worshiping. Come excited. And come ready to watch the Lord move. Don't come and say, well, God's just not going to work that way anymore. God doesn't do that anymore. You know, we just kind of assign ourselves. We're going to come in. We're going to sit down, shut up, listen, leave. That's the way that we, oh, that's it. That's all we're going to do. Come on, prepare yourself. Attitude makes a big difference, doesn't it? Ever have a bad attitude in church? No, never. Right? Did it make a difference? Hmm. Attitude makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. How I perceive, how, the lens for which I look at things. It's amazing. I, I'm always amazed. That, I can see sometimes, uh, uh, I'll see somebody and, and uh, they're worshiping. Boy, they're on the edge of their seat. Oh, they're into it. That, I mean, they're just really letting it. I'm, I'm not just judging by the outward appearance, but I'm just saying there's a difference. You see it in their eyes. You can almost sense it. There's just something there. And then you look over, the next person, he's asleep. Attitude makes a big difference. Same building, same song, same music, same words, same church, different result. Attitude. Attitude makes a a, a big difference. Makes a huge difference. Come praying, come worshiping, come excited, and watch the Lord move. Action, action. These folks, they didn't just say, well, we're going to have an atmosphere and we're going to have an attitude. They said, we're going to do something. Action. We're coming. Listen, this is what run-of-the-mill average Christian does. I come to church to sit and to listen and to spectate. Feed me, move me do something, wake me up, it's your job, you know, that's, the, that, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the general attitude, is just, let me, let me just sit here, and, I'm, you know, they that endure the end shall be saved, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get here, I'm gonna get done, and, you know, and I'm just, ador- come on, what, what's gonna come of that? I mean, I'm coming ready to respond, ready to respond, I mean, if the Lord speaks to my heart, I'm gonna listen. And boy, sometimes people say, well, God just never speaks to my heart. Well, then I'd check something in in your heart. Because he's speaking. His word's being preached this morning. Do you hear his voice? Do you know him? Are you one of his? Oh, I hope that you hear. Because if you don't hear, I'd check my heart this morning and say, I'm not, the the message is not the problem. The atmosphere is not the problem. Oh, maybe it's my attitude. Maybe it's the fact that I don't know him. Ooh. Ooh. That's a big deal. Action. Come to the house of God determined to be obedient. Obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit would create an atmosphere in which is more likely that God will move. And when he does, we need to engage in action. How about this? Attendance. Every church service that you don't come to, nothing will happen in your life. I mean, in a sense of, I didn't get anything out of that service because you weren't here. You've got to come, and that's a start. But can I say this? Attendance is not where your job ends. It's where it begins. When I come, come on, you ever, you ever, you ever see that employee? <clears throat> I, do they do that anymore? Clock in? You know, that thing that could cut your finger off if you stuck it in the, you know, that thing. You know, clock in? I see, they do it on the computer now, right? Well, job's done. I showed up five minutes late. But I'm here. Everybody should be happy that I came. Is a, is, a, is a boss happy that his employee just shows up? Well, I'm here. I'm going to sit at my desk all day. Probably not do a whole lot. Minesweeper, right? Is that even a thing anymore? I don't think so. But I mean, you know, do, I mean just, just show up. Attendance. Come on. Why is it that with church that we think just by mere attendance that my job's done? I think that's probably because the accent has been more on attendance than it has been on attitude atmosphere, action. We think, well, because I came. Does the Bible call us to attendance? It calls us to assemble. So we are to attend. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says that we're to attend, assemble, and not forsake assembling because we're to consider one another and provoke one another to love and good works. I see that we're coming to serve, to act, to do, not to sit. And, uh, you know, isn't it amazing that sometimes we got to stand up again? That's some people. Seriously, well, I just came to sit down and get comfortable and fall asleep. You know, why do you keep making me stand up, stand up, stand up? I mean, that's the work that we do. And, boy, isn't it interesting that even after all that work, we got to go home and take a nap. On, on, a, on a normal day, we wouldn't need a nap. I mean, on a normal day, that'd be a light day if we just went somewhere, sat down, did nothing. Come on. We get home from church after sitting for two hours. I'm exhausted. I think I'm going to eat something and lay down. Then they want me to come back and do it again. I go over there and sit again. I'm going to be exhausted after today. You understand, I'm just making light. But the truth of the matter is, is we've got to have this attitude. God, help me to have more of an attitude than just attendance. I want to come. I want to, I want to serve. Atmosphere, attitude, action, attendance. Essentials. How about this? Confession. Confession. Look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayers, you know, honesty is an essential if we're to be truly engaged as a church. We can't be honest with ourselves and what the condition we're in spiritually. We'll be lulled to sleep in our comfort zones. How are you doing spiritually this morning? As we come this morning, I believe if we're coming before a holy God that knows our hearts, let's we'll be honest. Let's we'll be honest. Does God know your heart this morning? Does he know it? Does he know your thoughts? Does he know your motives? Does he know your intentions? So here's the thing let's stop faking it. Let's not fake it. If there's something not right, what should we do? Confess it, forsake it, and move forward. That's what God calls us to do. Don't come and pretend like everything's okay. Listen, this is where we're supposed to get help, this is where we're supposed to get encouraged. We're supposed to encourage one another, but I, I fear the reason why we really can is because there's not enough honesty. I'm not coming honest. I'm coming to, with a facade, with a mask, uh, kind of fake if, if, if I'm being honest. I'm not really being honest. Hey, listen, come and be honest. If, if it's not right, don't pretend like it's right. But can I say this to you? If it's not right, then respond and make it right. Is there something that should be between two people in this room that cannot be made right at the cross? No. Is there something between you and a Savior that cannot be made right at the cross? No. Here's the truth. Then forgiveness, restoration. These things ought to be essentials in the church of God. Confession. And then lastly this this morning, commitment. Commitment. Look at verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house... That eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They continuing how often? Daily. That's extreme. You're right. That's the Christian life. It's daily. It's daily. It's not Sunday go to meeting. Then I go back to my life. It's my life is Christ. And the Christian life is to be lived daily. You with me? How often should I be in the word? Sunday morning? Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning. As often as you can be in the word, you ought to be in the Word. How often should we be in prayer, in prayer? Pray without ceasing. Hmm. How's your prayer life today? Could you use some more frequency? If that's the truth this morning, don't say, well, that's just a little sin. I don't really need to deal with that. Hmm. How about we say, God, I've not been praying like I should. God, I've not been in the Word like I should. Be honest. You with me? Let's just be honest. Because if I ask you to raise your hand and I'm not going to do it, I think all of us could use some improvement and the simplest thing we've been called to do, to be in God's Word and to be in prayer. Hmm. I think if more Christians were daily in the Word and daily in prayer, you would never have to mention a word about attending church. Because Christians would just do what they're supposed to do. If you just get in the Word, I think so much we've, we've, we've said, okay, well, people are just not going to do what they should, so we're just going to have to make them. Hmm. I don't want to be in that kind of relationship as a pastor with you. I really don't. I don't want to make you do what you're supposed to do. And by the way, it's not my responsibility to do it. The truth of the matter is, is yes, I'm to call you. Yes, I'm to warn you. Yes, I'm to tell you what the Bible says. But I don't want to make you do anything. If God can't make you do it, then I'm not going to make you do it. If the cross can't compel you to it, then my command, as little as it will be, do very little in your life truth of the matter is, is this morning, our commitment is first to Christ. Have you made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have not made a commitment to Christ, listen, when I I said, Lord, come into my life, I didn't just say, God, I want you just to be added to my life. We said like Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. In other words, old life is what? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not in this life to live my life. I want Christ to live in me. I want Christ to live through me. That's the Christian life, and it's to be lived daily. Look at Jesus. Who did he struggle with? The Pharisees? When they really battle with him when he did miracles? When he did them on the Sabbath day, right? Did Jesus just do miracles on the Sabbath day to make the Pharisees mad? No. He just did what he did every day. It was a daily thing. Jesus just was doing the will of God. He was in the will of God, doing what he was supposed to do daily. Jesus gave us the greatest example. I wonder this morning, do we have the essentials of an engaged church, or could we use some work? When I say church, I don't mean the organization. I mean the people. You with me? That's us. So let's do a self-examination this morning. Do we have the essentials? Because if we're lacking in the essentials, we're not going to be able to provide for others what they need. God has given us everything we need through His Word and by His Spirit, has He not? Has He done that for you, for me, spiritually speaking? When I stand before God and you stand before God, if you're a Christian, will you here Enter thou into the joy of the Lord? It'll be because of Christ, not because of you. We know this, but... Has he not supplied all your needs spiritually? Has he forgiven you of all your sin? Surely he has. What can we not give to him? What should be held back? What should not be surrendered? What should not be committed? That in all things he might have the what? Preeminence. The Lord of all. Of all my life. Of all my heart. Hey, what did he call us to? All your heart? All your soul? or your mind, or your strength. Hey, when the Bible says all, it means all. And that's, that's what He's saying. Hey, I want everything. Everything. All of you. You know what? I often stop, and I'm going to close with this. God, why would you want me? Why would you want me? Why would you want even part of me, let alone all of me? Don't you know what you're, you're getting yourself into here? <laughs> he does. Absolutely, but the truth of the matter is, He didn't enter into my life so that the old life could have its way. He entered into my life to give me new life. New life. Because the life I had before wasn't life at all. It was death. It was death. I hope God will help us to see that this morning. Do we have the essentials? Father, I pray you'd help us this morning to Be the kind of church that you have called us to be. Lord, so many times uh, we look at this time as a time to close our Bibles, to gather our things, and to prepare ourselves to leave. Isn't that sad? This is not a time for us to say, it's time to get ready to go. This is a time for us to say, it's time for us to get ready to obey. It's time for us to respond. Because this is the part of the service that I turn to you, church. And I say, I have said all that I believe God would have me to say this morning. And now I'm turning the service over to you to do what God said to you to do. So confess. Respond to His pleading, His calling, His voice. And don't deceive yourselves by being a hearer this morning. And not being a doer. So as I turn the service over to you. If you've not called on the name of the Lord and been saved, and you know that if you were to die, you'd go to hell because you've never accepted Christ. You're not sure if you'd die, you'd go to heaven. I turn the service over to you to respond to a loving, compassionate, caring Savior who died on the cross for you, who will not cast you out, who will not turn from you. And I turn the service over to the Holy Spirit to do His work in your heart. Christian, this morning, you have unconfessed sin. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.